Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and we're coming to you a day late on this occasion. This is both my fault and not my fault. Uh, it's a sense it's not my fault because I basically, when I was ready to record the last section of this and then edit together the show and then upload it, I came down with very severe uh, stomach cramps that was just, I wasn't literally in agony for like three hours uh it was just unbelievable pain like maybe the longest and most intense like i've ever been in pain <laughs> in my life uh really bad and but it's also my fault as well because it was uh i think well i'm not entirely certain but i think it was because i ate a meal that was at the back of my fridge uh, that has been there for a week and while everything smelled okay, I think that was probably the reason also because I had prawns in it. And I do have a little bit of history uh, with prawns that maybe aren't quite right causing me to feel that way. So that was just very stupid, very naive on my part. And uh, unfortunately, I've, I learned a, a tough lesson. I'm, I'm okay now, not 100%. But uh, yeah, that was not an enjoyable three hours, just literally... Uh, writhing about <laughs> not on the couch going oh god <laughs> punching pillows and everything oh it was disastrous but anyway top show coming today we've got Gary Cocker we've got Graham Thulis I don't know why I've said that in reverse order uh, but first of all we've got Joel Sked and we'll be talking about the weekend's action with a couple of ultimately very comfortable wins for Celtic and Rangers and I'll also explain why Nicky Clark is number one on my shit list. Uh, it, it has to do with betting. You probably won't be too surprised to guess. 
So anyway, without uh, further rambling from myself, enjoy the show. So welcome on to the show, Joel Sked. Joel, let's start with the game at Parkhead at the weekend. Celtic defeating Hibs by three goals to nil. Uh, fairly straightforward in the end, uh, but Hibs did ask them some questions in that first half, didn't they? Yeah, so having unable to watch the game on Sunday just because of the difficulty of <laughs> finding a stream because Celtic weren't allowing pay-per-view. I was kind of following it from Tony, so I think I was watching it through an illegal stream uh, in a pub. And you could, you'd kind of get the frustration in his texts um, as they stream through that Hibs had been playing well, maybe didn't take the chances or kind of half chances they created and then gave up easy goals. And that, that was that was that was the case. I thought the I thought the first half in general was very, very entertaining. But that was owing to a mix of nice passages of play, like some really nice uh, uh, work, and then contrast with some really, really sloppy passing, which led to a lot of turnovers. And you you seen that in the build up to the first goal with Ryan Porteous. He tried to play up outside of the outside of the right foot uh, pass and just completely fluffed it. But overall, I think there was a lot to be positive about for Jack Ross and Hibbs, especially in that first half. Who were, the, who were the kind of standouts for Hibbs in that opening period? The big one, every time I watch Hibbs now, I'm more and more impressed with Kevin Nisbet. I just, I just think he's really, really good. Again, he showed, he showed at Celtic Park fabulous work rate his awareness, there was one time when he got the ball in the uh, left-hand side, he was surrounded by two Celtic players, and he just calmly just shifted it inside. I think it was to Josh uh, Josh Doig who made an underlapping run. So he's really got a, a great awareness as passing. I think he set up um, Christian Doig over the top of a, a really good long uh, kind of long-field pass. And the good news for Hips fans is that while he's, he's, he's not the, the complete player, there's, there's more levels to go. So they're going to see a player who's going to develop and get better because, again, there's, there's still some times at Parkhead where uh, he was found wanting. He's not the greatest, certainly in the air, uh, kind of with his back to go if he's looking to hold, hold in. But dropping deep and getting the ball to feet is touch and turn. And like I said, his awareness is, is, is really, really impressive. Um, aside from that, you're probably looking at Joe Newell. Had um, Joe Newell is someone who I'm still unsure about uh, as a player. There was a no, there was a lot of praise for him, especially at the start of the season. I didn't really see, uh, see too much of that. But again, against Celtic, I thought it was it was really good. In the again in the first half, where he was up on play very well, he showed a, a composure which sometimes you find it's lacking in certainly some midfielders when you go to Celtic Park. And, uh, and and Ibrox. So those were the two who were probably most impressive. Was and of it, course, sorry, uh, Mar- Marciano as well. Marciano is with the exception uh, of the second goal. What was this? What was the second? Did uh, I think he could have pushed it out a bit better than he did? He could have pushed it right out to. Oh, of uh, course, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've just uh, I completely blank there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think that at the time, but now you see it. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point that he pushes it into a zone where players are going to be rather than pushing it wide to the right where there's less chance of a player being scoring. Hibs says, so I've not, uh, for those listening, I've not seen uh, this game or the game we're going to talk about next. I haven't had the chance yet. Uh, but Hibs did the, the line-up again in the three-five-two. Yes, it was. It was three five two. So uh, Boyle was right, uh, right wing back, and Dre right was mid in the centre midfield. 
from the kind of negatives I've seen of him, so we'll get on to Celtic soon enough. Um, mm-hmm. Josh Doig, I think for the second week in succession, seems to have struggled. He was taken off against Rangers, having having kind of maybe his rough, roughest ninety minutes of the season so far. And it seems like it was the same again here with Jeremy Fringpong pretty much being allowed to do whatever he wanted down that, that right-hand side. Yeah, I was expecting a horror show, uh, to be honest. When I read the comments, seen uh, people talking about it on social media, seeing what Tony had mentioned, I was actually actually expecting a horror show from Doig. I don't think it was that bad. I think he was uh, naive more than anything. I mean, you have to give him credit. He's a teenager going to sell the And he, he, he really showed a positivity that uh, to get forward and try and test Fring Pong. But I think, again, that falls into uh, naivety. And he just struggled. He just really struggled to deal with Jeremy Fring Pong in a one on be fun situation. I mean, he's not going to be the only one. Fring Pong's turn of pace. Um, he can just shift the ball or drop his shoulder really quickly. And it, it just... It takes him away from players just in a flash. So he's he's not going to be the only one that's going to have a tough time against him. But yeah, you could see the the marked difference between how he played Fring Pong and how Stevenson played Fring, Fring Pong. You might have seen on the uh, when I, t- I talked to Tony, there was still a couple of moments where Fring Pong uh, just breezed past Stevenson. But in the main, uh, Stevenson was 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 actually excellent in the in the second half. So going forwards. Imagine you're Jack Ross, Joe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You happy with that? Yeah, he's, he's got a really, um, a really uh, good sense of fair fashion. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so you're Jack Ross. So you're, you're, you're young, you're 18-year-old left-back, has uh, struggled the last couple of games, um, but it has come against Celtic and Rangers, and uh, the tests in the league are no, never going to get any stronger than that. Do you take him out the firing line in, in case his confidence erodes a little or do you keep him in? Because if you take him out, I don't think there's any real man-for-man replacements, especially in a kind of wing-back role than Lewis Stevenson. But Lewis Stevenson's now in his 30s. Hibs fans have never exactly been enamoured with his kind of play going forward as an attacking fullback. So obviously a wing-back that would be further emphasis on him to create in the final third. I very much like Doig's kind of energy in that area. Mm-hmm. So what would you do? Would you, would you give Doig a little bit of a rest or do Hibs kind of need his attacking impetus too much? I wouldn't give him a rest just yet. I would, again, it would be a big thing for uh, the kind of man-to-man management, talking to him and going, like just kind of sitting down with him personally, talking him through through, through those games and but still giving him uh, belief because I think, I think Doig... He don't know. Um, I, I'm just I'm just guessing from the outside of kind of what I can read into him is that he looks like someone who seems pretty unfazed by a lot. He seems uh, like he has got a really good attitude. So I don't think he will. I, I think I don't think mentally he will need a, a break. He doesn't seem like that type of player. And plus, you've got Hamilton coming up on Friday at Easter Road. So I think it would be. I think this is the ideal opportunity just for him to kind of um, get over those those speed bumps. And I think in time, though, as you see, he's, he's youngster that he will need to be taken out. And I think Jack, Jack Ross should explain it to him. But I don't think uh, he should take him out right away just because I think he'd be far more useful against Hamilton than he would uh, than Stevenson would. Okay, let's move on to Celtic now. Celtic. After the game, uh, Neil Lennon came out and uh, made a point 
thought this was quite interesting because it's not been said in the mainstream. Like nobody's really like Chris Sutton, you know, Charlie Nicholas, whoever, no Chris Commons, nobody said that, that Scott Brown could be dropped or whatever. It's mm-hmm. only fans. It's only fans or fan media, really. It's mm-hmm. only like people like us. So I found it interesting that Lennon wanted to address the fact that people have been saying that the Browns have been poor this this campaign and should be taken out of the, the team. Because then that kind of that pushes it into the mainstream. So mm-hmm. I, I found that found that quite interesting. I'm not necessarily sure whether that was the right thing to do long term. I can can understand why that it. it's kind of it's very easy and almost kind of natural as a human to kind of crow after your kind of decision is kind of proven right. But that could come back to bite them if this kind of proves to be an aberration. But a couple of questions. First of all, how did Scott Brown play in this game? He. It was very positive. I think he he was kind of the midfield fulcrum that Celtic or kind of Lennon wants Celtic. Celtic want. I think it was a lot more positive of his passing. I, I, after watching the game last night, I looked at his uh, just his passing stats, and so passes to the final third. That was um, that was both uh, up in terms of the volume and up in terms of the success rate. And forward passes again were was 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 up um, a decent amount and up in uh, six, uh, kind of success rate as well. So he um, actually compared to the average this season, there was noticeable um, noticeable that he was trying to play into the feet of the striker or the the, the two attacking midfielders behind uh, Ayeti. So I think it was Chris, it was Christie and El Yunusi to begin with, and then obviously David Turnbull uh, came in. So. He did. He did have a, a, a very good game. It, it wasn't at no point did I think, okay, he is being a detriment to their performance, which he has been in uh, domestically this season so far. He um, there was maybe once I think where he took an easy decision to pass back to the the centre backs when really he could have forced the issue. But overall, it was uh, it was it was a Scott Brown performance of in the last couple of years that Celtic would have wanted again. Obviously, Lennon made made note of it, but again, one one game doesn't make up for what has been a really underwhelming start to the season. That was going to be my second question because not had you on the show uh, that much so far this season. So I was going to ask whether you kind of agreed with with myself and maybe you know a couple of other guys, and it seems like the majority of the Celtic support mm-hmm. that that Brown hasn't really been uh, at it this season or if he, maybe not even that maybe that just the fact that he really doesn't fit into this 3-5-2 or hasn't done very often yeah so I would say going back to last season it was you're watching Celtic and wondering why where the need is for him at times especially again especially domestic games where you've, you can again especially at Celtic Park where you can play get away with McGregor and then Cham and, is, there maybe, and is there maybe something to say that this was a kind of more of the ideal opponent for when you want to bring Brown into the team a team that's going to be a bit more adventurous pass the ball a bit more have a bit more yeah. territory in, in Celtic's half yeah, that that's a good point because you look at Hibs probably a little bit more open, so it gives it gives Brown more uh, like space going forward to play into. Whereas if teams come and play with a low block, it's uh, he's not got that um, incisive creative passing that that bypasses that. So probably Hibs were ideal opposition. Opposition, I think that's that, that's a good point. But yeah, I, th- I think he has um, he's just been he's been too much 
Uh, it's it's kind of like Rangers at the time when they play Jack uh, Jack Davis and and, and, and Kamara. Um, I think that's the, the midfield three. It's just it, it seems like overkill, especially domestically, when you can bring in someone who is a bit more penetrative going forward. So you look at David Turnbull. I think he uh, long term came in as a kind of number 10. He's going to be a number 8 for for Celtic. He came in the second half and he brought a lot more control and composure to the, the, the centre of the pitch. Yeah, I was about to move on to Turnbull. Uh, he, Celtic fans were, were very impressed with, with him in the game. I think he immediately, they're, I think they're, they're impressed with the, his technique and his passing ability and think he's ultimately going to be a big player for them. <laughs> uh, the problem for Turnbull, uh, as he's got at the moment, is where does his opportunities every week come from? Because he came on for Ryan Christie at halftime and he certainly made Celtic better in the second half. Uh, but is, is Christie going to drop at the team? Is McGregor going to drop at the team? Brown, we know, doesn't drop at the team. Mm-hmm. So where's his place in this, in this side? Exactly, and then you've got the Cham as well, who Lennon has been, uh, who came on, and Lennon has has been playing recently. Like going forward, you think he's going to be a uh, uh, kind of natural progression from Callum McGregor, but Callum McGregor's still pretty young, and he doesn't seem like the type who's going to venture away from Celtic anytime soon. So, I think he'd probably get away with playing those uh, name together. If you're talking about players leaving, actually, Christie, there is kind of murmurings about Christie because they were mm-hmm. supposedly working on a new contract a while ago that's not been signed yet. And, you know, the longer stuff like that goes on, the more speculation is going to be that he's heading out the door. And But there's not really even been any sort of kind of paper talk about clubs that are after him. So it, it was, there was over the weekend, uh, over the weekend, Burnley, I'm sure, were. All right, I must, I must have missed that. But yeah, yeah so. I wonder whether the Celtic do expect somebody to, to, to leave in the next week. Yeah, quite possibly. Because again, I, I thought when Turnbull came in, that was kind of Rogic away. Rogic is still yeah, still there. Looking, looking at it, there was a calls for Ryan Christie, uh, like going forward for uh, David Turnbull to play in front of Ryan Christie. Because again, Christie, despite Celtic, they've won their last six league games. Uh, but despite that, they've, they've, they've still not um, kept... Uh, all firing all cylinders, both kind of collectively and uh, individually. Uh, Turnbull is, you look at stats, he's, he's going to create a lot of chances and a lot of goals for Celtic, just going by the, the stats he was putting on board for uh, for Motherwell. So, I mean, if, if it was a uh, meritocracy, then Turnbull probably plays, but at Celtic, that under Lennon, it doesn't seem to be the case. Mohamed El Yunusi started the game up front. Before we move yeah. on to the to the next match, how did how did you think he got on? Uh, he's just really strange. Well, at times I was thinking because uh, I was in my mind's like, oh, who's who's been uh, good players? Who's been who's been bad? And there's there was times I thought, right, uh, Christie was getting a wee bit of criticism, so he must uh, he must have had a poor game. And then, oh, that must have been Christie's bad touch. But it was El Yunusi. He just sometimes he just he. I don't really don't know what to make of him. He goes from being really, really, um, really threatening. I tipped him to be player of the uh, player of the season this uh, this campaign, and he lo- sometimes he goes from someone who looks electric and could tear up this league to just being utterly, utterly hopeless. It's, it's really, really strange. I wasn't overly impressed. He, he's obviously scored uh, scored a goal. It was a lovely finish, but he's a player who should be offering so much more. I just, I just think uh, too often he plays on the periphery of the game. Okay, let's move on to... Oh, sorry, can, sorry, before we can move on, can we talk uh, just quickly about Shane Duffy? 
Not all right, yeah. Uh, I noticed he was, he was nudged off the ball for Nisbet for one of the chances. Yeah, this, this, is, this is the issue that I've seen during his uh, well short tenure at Celtic so far, is that he looks very uncomfortable dealing with long balls over the top, which is weird because he's like kind of, uh, Ariel Joe's uh, success rate when he was at Brighton was, was very good. And you'd imagine he, was, he's, he plays for Ireland, so he, he, he should be uh, decent dealing with just uh, um, kind of just simple balls, but he just seems to misjudge, uh, just misjudge them a lot. There was one before Nisbet where he just completely ran under the ball, and I'm sure it happened once or maybe twice at Ross County. But then you, you kind of um, contrast that with what he does bring inside the box, and there was a big block from Kevin Nisbet in the in, in the second half when the scores was uh, was two 0 But he's for someone who's got a lot of Premier League experience and international experience, he's not looked too clever at the at the moment. Right, let's move on to the game at Dingwall. And that was, Russell, as I said, Ross County nil Aberdeen 3. Marley Watkins getting the opener. And Lewis Ferguson with a double from the penalty spot. I've only watched the highlights for this. Did Ross County do anything in the game? Because according to the highlights, they did not. Absolutely nothing. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. They, they could have been 4 0 down in the first 10 minutes. It was. Uh, I was. It took me. I think it took me about 25 minutes to watch the first 10 minutes because I was. Uh, I was every time there was kind of a chance, I would just kind of rewind it to uh, look at like how it came about, and it was just. It was just ridiculous. They were just. They were just um, split open time in the game by Aberdeen. They just could not get used to. Aberdeen's formation, their midfield was overrun. It was actually it was embarrassing watching the midfield. Tilson got taken off after four or five minutes. Ian Vigers obviously got um, got sent off, and he had a disastrous game. He failed to. He just he's not good when players run past him. He failed to track uh, Niall McGinn for. Um, I know it was the build-up to the first goal, or certainly a build-up to the chance. It was turned easily by Scott Wright. Um, he. he Played the pass across his box, just outside the box, which was intercepted. Uh, intercepted. Uh, he got a, a real. Uh, he got a booking for a real bad challenge on Ross McCrory. A couple of other times, he just got he, he, he just got left for dead. And Vigers has a place uh, in a team, but when the opposition have a mobile kind of partnership as like Ferguson, McCrory and people who uh, the movement of Scott Wright and kind of Ryan Hedges coming off the flank and obviously Niall McGinn playing kind of centrally he was just all over the shop again he wasn't helped by Jordan Tilson who just who failed to impress and then there's Harry Payton who I'm a big fan of but the more I watch him the more he reminds me of Jason Holt at heart where I thought he was going to be this really creative number 10 who was going to score goals and provide goals but all he does, he looks very neat and tidy on the ball, but he doesn't have an end product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not really that penetrative, is he? No, no not at all. He's just, uh, which is, which you want him to see, because again, he's, he's very, uh, he looks like he can be that player, but he just, he, he just doesn't, uh, he just doesn't move on to that, that next, that next level. I think probably the best uh, indication of how far away County were from Aberdeen was opening goal. It was Aberdeen just knocked the ball. So I think there was there was fifteen pa- fifteen passes without a county touch, which went it went from Joe Lewis uh, side to side, really patient uh, play from Aberdeen, and then kind of just incision. Ross County just didn't get anywhere near them. 
going to Vigers, he's, so Vigers is kind of like the quarterback of the county team, but yeah. what you were saying there, and I'm going to use a reference that's going to go completely over your head, so this, no is, doubt, for the NFL, no this is for the NFL geeks out there, he's uh, basically, he seems like he's, I don't want to say Tom Brady because he was never that good, but he's like, he's like Tom Brady now whenever he has to deal with a, a, like a good pass rush. He can't move anymore. So yeah. McCrory and Ferguson are the good pass rush. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. I, I, I do get that reference, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he, when, he ha- when he has time on the ball uh, or he has protection, he can be a very good player. There's one moment in the first half where he just sunk this brilliant, brilliant ball. Must have been about 60 yards over the top of uh, the Aberdeen defence. I think it was kind of behind Hayes uh, or behind Constantine, straight to Michael Gardine. And it was just, it was like, it was an absolute brilliant ball. But that's not enough to, um, to kind of, that's not enough to weigh against his, his kind of vulnerabilities in the midfield. So Aberdeen, this is, so they've looked impressive with the exception of the mm-hmm. Motherwell game. Uh, they've looked impressive uh, yep. since they, they've gone to the 3-4-3 three, three this season, but they've not quite managed to, to put it all together for a kind of 90 minutes where they've kind of entertained their fans from the first minute to the last. I think it's safe to say that this was uh, the, the kind of the full performance that the supporters have been waiting for. Yeah, I've, I've, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed watching Aberdeen. I think they've been remarkably really interesting to watch over the last few weeks and I think this was it kind of coming together it was interesting the uh, the, the kind of slight tweak McInnes made to the lineup he played Hedges as a kind of inverted right wing back and then McGinn played as one of those two tens behind the striker but McGinn kind of ended up playing just ahead off um, just head off and inside Johnny Hayes, so they linked up quite uh, quite a lot. But it worked. Scott Wright had a lot. Uh, Scott Wright kind of drifted more to the right hand side, where he would able to com- uh, combine with Hedges. And there was just there was just so many little partnerships and combinations where everyone just seemed to be on the right wave waveline for Aberdeen. And it just it just looks like clicking in. And McCrory and Ferguson, they've they've got an absolute diamond of a certain uh, certain midfield partnership. I know. I would, I would urge anyone to uh, read Blair Newman's uh, piece on Aberdeen on the Patreon, which is free. It's 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 a it's, it's a brilliant piece. Uh, one of the best tactical writers out there, out there, especially Scottish football, and he really nails what Aberdeen trying to do. He, he talked about McCrory, how he has come in and replaced Graham Shinney, What they've what they've missed in Graham Shinney. and he, he is a player who it's similar to Greg Doherty when he's uh, pitched up at Hibs that. He is uh, he's, he's someone who I thought was a decent player, but I didn't realise how good he was until he stepped away from Rangers, where he was surrounded by obviously better players and stepped in this team. And he just he just looks so, so good. Uh, I, I, if I was a Hibs fan watching Aberdeen, I'm thinking, fuck, why didn't we get him? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be raging if I was a Hibs fan, having not, not got him, because he is so impressive going forward, going backwards. And then looking, just going ahead, Ferguson and McCrory, so much potential in that in that uh, partnership and they have they've got a determination they've got a dynamism they've got a, aggression which which should really really encourage Aberdeen fans having had to suffer shit for the last 18 months or so <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add before we, we wrap up? Uh, just a county change to um, 4-4-2 at the break didn't really do didn't really do much. Uh, end up with um, Bagers and Peyton in the centre midfield with um, Reagan Charles Cook and Michael Gardine. Why Gardine again? Still 
best uh, best county player. The only time they were going to do anything was going to come through him. Ollie Shaw. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Paid six figures for him. I know it's it's, it's, it's bonkers. He just we we talked about him. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what I said uh, before because we've we talked about him before. But rubbish. Uh, last thing we'd say Aberdeen. The, their squad is actually pretty ridiculous. They were able to bring on like Dylan McGeoch and they've still got Sam Cosgrove to uh, Cosgrove to come back. So um, well, that's the interesting thing when Cosgrove comes back. Is he actually going to be <laughs> detrimental to this this yeah. new system? At the moment, I would I would say I would say at the moment I would say so because uh, he would he would have to. Um, he would have to be more than just a target man for long balls, and you don't, you wouldn't want him to come in and disturb the uh, equilibrium in the team, where they're going to people. Some defenders might think, like especially Ash Taylor, might think, right, "I'm just going to go long to uh, Cosgrove, the easy option," and it would, um, it would bypass a lot what's good about Aberdeen. One last thing to say is I can't believe I've barely mentioned him. Johnny Hayes is just is is, is brilliant. Uh, he had a slow start, I would say, when he came back to Pataudry, but just he just looks again. Him and McCrory coming from the old farm, just look just elevated that squad massively. It's like listening to a test podcast from five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Johnny Hayes, Aberdeen's Philip Lamb. <laughs> right, Joe. Thank you very much. No problem. You're welcome. Cheers. Now, welcome Graham Thulis onto the podcast. We're going to talk about two games that one game was competitive but very uneventful. The other game was eventful but not competitive in the slightest. So let's start with the latter of those two. Let's start with Motherwell 1, Rangers 5. <laughs> that was a good laugh. That was a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Um, it was one of the ones where I was like super glad it was on Sky Sports. I was like, well, I didn't actually pay for this. This is this is this is like a because I'm an absolute stig. I watch Sky through iPlayer or watch watch it through the the online player because I borrow somebody else's. Um, but very much a case of being like, yeah, if I'd paid for this, I'd be furious. It's one of and it's one where I think it was somebody highlighted um, particularly for the the sort of Campbell penalty shout. It's another game that really sort of suffered from a lack of people there. Yeah, um, I, I said that. Yeah, it was well. The game started off with a bit of noise as people decided to set off hurdles of fireworks <laughs> at like twelve o'clock in the afternoon. Um, it did kind of feel like the the absolute fury that there would have been at five one or, or at five nothing after a ten second goal. The whole load of things throughout the game that just would have sent people absolutely bananas. And then the fact that with about ten minutes to go after five 0 it would probably for part would probably look like it did in the end anyway. So and maybe 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 it was a big loss. Maybe it wasn't. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't actually the uh, Campbell penalty claim, it was the other one, which I think was Lang uh, with Hillander. Oh, yeah. That was the one I didn't think. The Campbell one I thought could have been a penalty because it is, it is a bit of a barge. It's one of those kind of grey areas, it's hard to say. Yeah. I, th- I think it's one of those ones in the middle of the park that the referee probably gets in, but in the box it might not be enough, that kind of bullshit. But the, the Lang one, I don't think it was a penalty. I think he kind of ran into Hellander's path and, and fell over. But because that occurred right after Rangers had scored their second penalty of the match, I just I was like, oh, if the referee, if the fans are there, the referee doesn't get that. The place explodes with rage, and I just get inserted directly into my veins. And I was, I was really missing that watching the game yesterday. I want that absolute furious anger coming from the terrace, and then it just, it's just not the same. But and as you say as well, there've been a lot of booing of the of the Mullow fans of their team because their team were pish. Correct. 
Um, just not good. Just not good, particularly after in midweek. Yes, Motherwell went to Israel and got put out by a team which is evidently better than us. Um, which is not generally in Europe, with the exception of this Jarnan nonsense. Motherwell tend to play to their seeding, as most Scottish teams tend to do. They they play to their seeding, and then you go out to a team which, as it turns out, has four times your budget, and you look at it and go. Well, they weren't that good. We had a chance there, but we didn't take it. But ultimately, like this is we play to where we're meant to, we're meant to play. So I kind of find it difficult to get terribly upset about them. Um, the Aberdeen game last weekend was we brilliant. First half an hour, we absolutely battered a team that had not lost a game since the opening day. Um, this week we turn up, and I, I don't know whether it was tiredness having travelled back from Israel. Um, fair enough, Rangers had to come back from from the Netherlands as well. Um, whether it was just the tiredness and the extra, the extra sort of travelling and the legs and the lack of recovery from that as well. I don't know, but just I, th- I think it might have been, and also as well, I, I kind of thought that I. I should have done it. I chickened out of, a, of putting a bet on before the game of uh, Rangers minus two uh, because I just thought with like Motherwell coming that long trip back from Israel, you've missed some opportunities over there where, you know, on another night, taking taking the chances when you get them, not being maybe so naive defensively, then you could be going through and the players are going to be kind of thinking that over and over as they're coming back. So the, the kind of psyche of the team was going to be quite low. Whereas Rangers, it would be the opposite. They've got time uh, coming back to think about how well they've done, kind of thing. And I just thought going into this one, with Rangers knowing as well, having dropped points last week, that they can't afford to drop points. I just thought it was, I thought it was a perfect storm for a, for a pumping. Uh, but the odds were too shite, so I shited, I shot out of it and instead put money on fucking Celtic Hibs, both teams to score. So. <laughs> The, the fact that the, the odds were telling you that Motherwell minus two were crap probably tells you more than enough. That, I mean, that's probably enough to, enough analysis on this game anyway. But nonetheless, um, so Jordan Jones came in from Rangers, who I genuinely actually I thought he was on loan. Um, <laughs> I just assumed Jordan Jones was out on loan. Um, so finding him in the team lineup. Um, I think it was Joel before the game said uh, with, uh, with Bassey and Jones uh, out on the left-hand side, I, I maybe fancy him a little bit to do something here, and I was like, I, just giggling at it, we've not beaten Rangers in the majority of my life, um, so no, I, I didn't really fancy his for it at all, but Jones, I thought it was an interesting one to come in, um, there seemed to be a lot of praise for him after the game as well, and well, I thought, I mean, he's got, his goal was really, really well taken, um, that was but comfortably the best push, or the best there. Uh, Passes a play uh, throughout the 90 minutes um, until the, the, the 87th minute, which I'll mention very briefly later on as well. They're the best passes of play in the 90 minutes. Um, but ultimately, Jones was helped by the fact that Motherwell's defence was was not absolutely nowhere. Um, I didn't think he... If you're looking at... We're, we're, we're coming up to a very crunch point in the season for Rangers. We're looking for players to come in who can make a real difference. Is Jordan Jones that? Or is he still just what he was in the first place? Like Jordan Jones has had very good games at first part. He's had better games at first part than he had on Saturday. Or he had on Sunday, sorry. Um, and I'm not convinced that, that, was, that that's that's the big step forward that he needs. Yeah, I, could, at the same t- I do agree with that. But at the same time, I do think he should now be given more of a chance in and around the squad because that goal is something that I cannot imagine Brandon Barker doing in a month of Sundays. Um, and similarly, Greg Stewart accelerating away. Yes, yeah, like, well, like Greg, Greg Stewart running away for anybody. Uh, so, and I do kind of like. I thought my kind of problem with Jones and the team before. Uh, I always kind of go back to the, the St. Mirren game last year. This was a game where this this was a turning point in Borna Barisic's uh, Rangers career. 
And I felt like watching that game where, where Jones is wide left and Barisic was behind him. Uh, that I think it was uh, Jones playing about, but it, Barisic just seemed completely stifled by a winger being ahead of him. And I felt like on the left, Jones always kind of just looked like he was trying to be the player that he was at Killy. And Rangers don't really do that as much. Their they're kind of wingers aren't necessarily wingers. They're kind of, you know, second strikers or invented wingers or, or whatever you want to call them. They're not there to kind of hug the touchline. And he, in this game, because he was played on the right, I know that him can't swap sometimes, but he was mainly kind of playing from the right. So that means he's got a bit more of a natural tendency having been used to playing on the left to, to drift inside. And I think that will, if he, if he is going to make a success of himself at Rangers, I think it will be at that position rather than in what we kind of typically see as his natural role on the left-hand side. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree overall that I didn't think it was quite as good as some people made out, but I thought there was some promising signs there because Rangers do kind of need one of these guys to step up and, and be a, a fairly consistent contributor as a kind of, fourth guy coming in when, you know, Arebo's injured or yeah, when, you know, they've got other kind of holes in the team. And at the moment, they don't quite have that. Barker doesn't do it enough. Stewart doesn't do it enough. So they, they do need to uncover that player from within their squad. And, you know, chances are it's probably not going to be Jones. We, we've maybe seen enough to, to indicate that already. But I think Gerard just has to, you know, take the gamble in the meantime. Yeah. Um, it's... it's uh... Um, given that Motherwell are, are averaging about a, a penalty a game at the moment, it seems like an ideal opportunity for Rangers to, to try different things in their team as well. Um, briefly on Motherwell, just not very good. Um, talking to some pals last night about the, sort of the summer recruitment and, and how that's worked out, which has been very, very bad. Um, all in all, um, the guys that have brought in have just not hit the ground running yet. They're not up to speed yet. I'm reticent to give Ricky Lamy a shoon, but he deserves a bit of a shoon from time to time um, and has has throughout his his time at Motherwell yet. And I think it's un, it is unfair on him and that he's been asked to do an awful lot more than I think we'd anticipated he would have been. Um, I think he would have been playing the, the Richard Tate role of coming in when someone is injured or someone is suspended. But with uh, Connolly's... Jake Carroll out, who remained, I mean, I think it was October or something, it was suggested that he'd be back with Liam Donnelly out as well um, for an extended period as well. We're just kind of a little bit short of bodies uh, at the moment and it's it, looking to bring in other players to, or, or, or looking to bring in more first-team centre-halves at the moment seems a bit of a challenge um, because we did that last year and we ended up with just extra centre-halves kicking about when everyone finally got fit. Um, weirdly, despite the fact that he was mainly given, or seemed to have been given a deal just to get himself fit and ready to go again and Charlie Dunn, if Charlie Dunn got himself fit and playing again, I think he could really add to, if, if we're going to stick with going with a back three, I think a, maybe a back three of Gallagher, Dunn and uh, Bevis would actually be an, a much, much better fit. Um, Dunn's pace got us out of out of, out of, uh, out of various holes when we played that when we played that system previously. So whether that's possible, I don't know. Whether we stick with a back three when it's been horribly exposed by just the, the slightest bit of pace, I don't know. Um, it seems we're on to sort of second or third iteration of this team already, and it's about ten games into the season. So I'm not quite sure what where we go from that and what we do. With each of the centre forwards again bring something. Um, what and Long last weekend looked absolutely sensational. This weekend, Long was dropped and we went for Lang, um, who again looks like he's got something, but it's not quite there yet. It's, I, I, don't, I don't really know. Speaking of the day, before we move on and talk about a couple more Rangers players, Declan Gallagher, he has 
Not played well this season. He has not. Um, it's beginning to be a sort of bit of a question as to whether, like the, the fact that the Motherwell captaincy seems to weigh so heavily on players is a bit bizarre at this point, really. <laughs> Especially with no fans in the ground. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's kind of that as well. It's been a sort of long-running thing in that um, when, it, when it was Paul Quinn who was captain, I think it was essentially it was it was meant to be Craig, but Craig said he didn't he didn't want it. He didn't like playing with, didn't like playing as captain, so it ended up being Paul Quinn. Um, I think possibly because Paul Quinn was maybe a bit too daft to even realise what he was meant to be doing, so he didn't really notice potentially. Um, and that it was Craig for a while, but he never seemed to particularly enjoy it. Lasley was was fine with it. Um, Hartley seemed to struggle under it McHugh seemed to struggle being captain uh, weirdly Richard Tate was absolutely dead sound as a captain um, again possibly because he's just absolutely buff so maybe that uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got an arrogance with me because I've got massive arms and a six pack so possibly big dick arrogance big dick confidence big dick Tate confidence um, <laughs> I think that's possibly fine but Gallagher since he's, since he's taking on the captaincy it's, it may just be the fact that last season was just the peak of what he's going to do and that's absolutely fine. Um, he's born he, better than shite, which is what he's been so far this year. He has struggled this season, uh, yeah. And the fact that our signing policy appeared to be give Gallagher the captaincy and then he can bring two mates with him to come and play with us as well. Um, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure quite how that worked as well. Um, and if we're going to go do that, why can't we give Beres the captaincy so we can bring in two of his Ugandan pals? <laughs> At the, very, at the very least, that's more interesting. Bring David Abua back. Right, mm-hmm. uh, but we're finishing this game by talking about the two goals. Well, we should probably just give a, a kind of hat tip uh, to the two great saves, one at either end, one from McGregor, one for Carson, just a couple of outrageous saves. Yes. Uh, I liked uh, McGregor not wanting to take credit for his save. Uh, he, he is just a, he's just a McGregor is such a shit just like, relentlessly so even like even at moments where you're like you know, that's really good you you, you 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 break out from the fact that your knowledge or your, pre, your prior knowledge of Alan McGregor is a shit and you look at him and go that's a really good save fair play and then he's immediately saying no it wasn't the touch it fuck off <laughs> you're four, four or four or five nil up at the time <laughs> It's like, just take credit for it. Well. Yeah, Carson's Carson save in the first minute probably was a, a signifier of kind of what, what was to come from there. But for me, again, as, as I mentioned, the best moment of the game is George Edmondson's own goal, which is absolutely wonderful yeah, of a man was... completely oblivious to football being anywhere near him until it hits him on the nose. Aye, it's grown this great reaction ones as well when he's like trying to draw away and it's just, oh, it looks brilliant. It looks like he's been smashed in the face by like a boulder or something. I, uh, I... Truth be told, I did sort of wander off for about 10 minutes in the second half and came back downstairs just to find, to find Edmondson taking it square in the pass. So yeah, I, I very much enjoyed that. That was a, a nice way to round off a thoroughly miserable hour and a half. Any complaints about the two Rangers handball penalties? No, I, I, I find it really odd. Um, the people were, seem to be banging the drum at oh, this this new handball rule or Bobby Madden or whatever else. For me, both of those penalties under any handball rule over the past 20 years are penalties like Bevis, to be fair, I think is a bit unlucky because I think he sees it coming. So he tries to sort of swing his hand out of the way. But in swinging his hand out of the way, he just bats it. Which is <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, and Grimshaw, it's just one of those, it's, it's an awkward height for him, but it, it's not really chest, it's not really head, and he's he doesn't know what to do with his arm. But both of them are like 
he's, they've pinged both of them off hands and I kind of find it difficult to be terribly upset about them. They both very much looked like penalties to me. Um, the only other one is, I agree with you on the Lang one, the Campbell one, I think, it's the Campbell one for me is a, is a uh, sort of ideal explanation as to why VAR doesn't work or won't work because you could look at it from the various angles. Kamara has no real intent on playing the ball. He does absolutely make contact with Campbell. Um, my feeling on it was that yeah, that could comfortably that, that could very easily be a penalty, but it wasn't given. So again, I can kind of understand why it wasn't given. So not everything is black and white. And yeah. to me, that one's one of those perfect examples of that. I had the referee given it at one nothing. It might have been a different game, but the chances are probably not because we just weren't at it at all. Um, that might have kicked us into something. Or alternatively, we just have missed the penalty, um, which is something we're quite good at as well at the moment. Um, so, no, I, I thought that one very much fell into the sort of, I've, I've got a very big raised single eyebrow to this going, um, I'd, I'd have a go at that, but nah. We have no complaints from Sunday whatsoever. Before we move on, Cedric Itton coming off the bench, getting his first two goals for Rangers. I think that's quite significant. Uh, the longer he goes without a goal, the more pressure's put on him, the more his confidence probably drops, and the more likely he is to be a dud. Two different goals, very uh, kind of both kind of encouraging, I would say, from a Rangers point of view. The first one, it's a fucking tremendous finish, uh, and the second one, that kind of penalty box, kind of just feasting on a wee loose ball. Something that Rangers maybe don't do enough of or don't quite have the... It's not, not a type of goal that you typically see Morello score, for example. Uh, just kind of managing to be in the right spot in a crowded kind of six-yard box. Uh, so looking at both of them, it's still he's still got a ways to go. He's not looked particularly convincing whenever he's played, but you can see there is something there about him. And this shoot, Rangers fans will be hoping that this will do his confidence a world of good. And then uh, the, the player that they hope they were getting will emerge from that. I also really enjoy that he's essentially fud to um, Florian Camberry's duff because they're just the same person. So <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't sell duff, we only sell fud. And there's a picture of Cedric in. Right, so there's, let's move on to St Mirren against Kelly, if we must. 1 0 to the visitors, uh, Nicky Kabamba with a first half goal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for your time Craig it's been a really nice day it's been really nice to see uh, the pitch looks really nice um, it did look very nice look like a bowling green looked like a very nice day I really enjoyed that the sports scene highlights had extended highlights of the teams coming out this <laughs> is not looking good this is not well. this is not good there's, there's a point on the sports scene highlights as well but you can tell they've, when they're putting the graphics up they've actually slowed down the video because it covers up most of it, but you can still see some feet moving in the background. They've slowed it right down so that they can they, they don't need to show more of the actual football because there was nothing to see. Um, all in all, it was a reminder kind of what Kilmarnock are capable of being, which is absolutely suffocating. Like yes. Kilmarnock's possession in this game must have been quadruple figures if that was a thing. Um, <laughs> It, like, in the first half in particular it was just a case of Kelly just had the ball and just kept moving it and moving it and moving it and they have so many players within that within that starting 11 who are just so comfortable having the ball and I think I, I presume this might be the sort of a uh, a bit of a sort of carryover from uh, Clark's time there 
um, because it, it was genuinely just a, a really, really impressive performance from them. They just kept the ball, they were patient, they kept moving it. So Finlay and Broadfoot and Power and Dicker and Tishmola were just moving the ball around and then Burke and Kilty and Kabamba making runs and then the fullbacks making runs as well. So the game, the game kept being stretched and while St Mirren were keeping most of it in front of them and, and doing quite well, they always kind of felt that at some point or another somebody will drop a man or somebody will take a step a step too far forward and that's exactly what happened like the uh, Marcus Fraser just went in too close to Burke who played a quick one too and then that was the goal and then it's what, well in your result you're watching the game back and you're looking at it going I can't see any situation in how St Mirren get themselves back into this because they just can't get a hold of the ball for any length of time and it must have been so frustrating from a St Mirren point of view because the number of times they just with any sort of pressure, just emptied it and gave the ball back to Kilmarnock when it was like, again, I know we've done NFL twice in two weeks here now, but it's, it's kind of like playing against uh, Kansas City. Like, just keep the ball away from them for as long as possible because as long as they have the ball, they're such a danger. And just the way they kept moving the ball and recycling the ball and moving it and moving it and moving it. At some point, if they hadn't scored in the first half, they'd have definitely scored in the second half. It was just a case of at some point or another, St. Mirren will drop a, will drop a runner. Um just because you can't give a team that much possession and that much time in the ball without being punished at some point or other. For anybody who didn't see the game, I could basically just sum it up in about uh, 20 seconds. So, Dormis had a shot wide on a counter-attack after 10. Erwin had a header off the bar on 23. Uh, Kambamba opened the scoring. Uh, Kilty had a a good shot that uh, drew an excellent save from Jack Annett four minutes in the second half. Uh, Obika had a shot wide on the other. And that's it. (laughs) <laughs> that was all that happened the entire game pretty much but I get to let us say I was just I was so impressed with Kilmarnock and I, I always am I, I thought it was a real shame when um, Del Fabro um, left Kilmarnock because he was a big part of that last year alongside here Finlay or Broadfoot just moving the ball but they just look so comfortable with it uh, just now and even they've lost the what ultimately were at the time probably two of the best fullbacks at the league and have replaced them with, with Millen and Waters, who, again, look like reasonable players, but just not that similar sort of quality. And it doesn't feel that there's been a, a great amount of drop-off just because of that that sort of initial five in, in Finlay, Broadfoot, Dicker, Power and Tishpola. Um, yeah, some fans were not big on Callum Waters at all, but I'm, I'm, I would say I'm, I think they might have wished they had him on Saturday because Waters played reasonably well, whereas Marcus Fraser was absolutely burned for the, for the goal, like, quite yeah. easily by, by Chris Burke and... Just some man and set up. I mean, why do they not have any defenders? <laughs> like, I'm literally just looking at their squad. I think they've got... I think they've actually only got, like, six defenders on their entire books, or, or five, maybe even five, and one of them is Sheridan as well, who they've been playing pretty much exclusively in midfield. Yeah. It's just, like, as soon as somebody's out, it has to be somebody out of position. So it was Cam McPherson went out. So we've been, we've been saying, like, Cam McPherson needs to be at the suburban team, and then he gets I, the I, game I, and gets I, the fucking right back. <laughs> I really enjoyed that, because I remember last week we were talking about, get Cam McPherson and he's dead good. He's just playing a right back. Like, Brilliant. Great. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for that, Jim. Um, I do wonder as well this season, um, while this is quite sort of a common thing, and that you kind of look at teams right up until the end of the window, and it gets to the, the, the final day of the window, and there'll be some there'll be some loans coming in from Championship and Premiership teams down south or League One or whatever else just guys that are possibly young players or guys that are just surplus to requirements and they just need them out 
the issue with that for teams in Scotland this year is the window runs until is it October? Yeah. Um, so you're essentially you've got like the third of a third of the season gone by the time you're allowed to get those guys in, and at that point you then need to spend another probably two or three weeks getting them up to fitness and and, and ready to play. Which again, as you said this before, this season is going to remain to be quite interesting in just about every facet throughout because teams are going to continue to change continue because players are going to leave very late into the season or very late into the window and um, because of things nothing to do with them um, and there are questions in terms of what League 1, League 2 and the Championship in England are going to be next year um, What, how much teams are going to be playing if it gets to if it gets to mid-October and it seems like the things out with football um, are getting out of hand down south and Scotland's in a position where we're able to continue to do things and play games of football then is there going to be an influx of League 1 and League 2 guys who are like well I need to play football I need to make some sort of money um, so are there, going to, are there going to be a lot of movement there are there going to be things changing at that point as well so it's, it's going to continue to be a, a very odd and, and difficult time for clubs so Mirren, if I was to Simon Fananga I'd be a bit concerned right now five consecutive defeats one point from the last six games and I don't, why I'd be really concerned is that I don't even see exactly what they can do to kind of bring themselves out of this. So, yeah, you can maybe play Cameron McPherson in the centre of the park. Uh, I think that would help, but it's not exactly a fix. It's just that with so many guys off form, because not like since August or since like the first couple of weeks, has not turned up at all. Um, Dermis has looked like. In fact, I don't, wouldn't even go far to say that he looked like he did at the start of last season because at least at the start of last season he was he was getting involved a bit more. He just d- didn't have the final ball. This season, really notice him when he plays. Uh, McGrath, they can't seem to find a position for them. They just move him everywhere. Uh, there's just so many things wrong with that team that I just I don't know what... Because in this game, he played, basically played two formations. Started in a 4-1-4-1, changed it to a 4-4-2 at halftime. Overall, I would say the 4-4-2 would have made more sense just to go direct because he should have known coming into this game without Eamon Brophy that Killy, who was suspended, that Killy were going to go back to the 4-5-1 because they haven't played any other formation unless both Brophy and Kabamba have been fit. So I would have just... I think if I was Goodwin, I would have just thought if I, you know, if I match up with a midfield three, my midfield three, regardless of who I play, is not going to be as good as Kelly's midfield three of Power Dicker and Tishbola because that's a, that's a very good... That's Killy are fifth and that's probably the... Fifth best midfield three in the entire league. Behind yeah. Celtic Rangers, Hibs and Aberdeen might even give a couple of them a run for their money. And But saying that, he changed the half time to the 4-4-2 and they barely even created a chance in the second half. So I don't really know. I'm looking at their team going, I don't, I'm clueless of how you could even start to try and fix this. Uh, they need to, I think they need to bring in more bodies. They certainly need... That's the problem as well because they need defenders because they need because every time there's a there's a hole in the defence there's somebody that, that has to play out of position, but they also need players going forward as well. So it's like yeah. you know, obviously funds are going to be very limited. So yeah, it's not looking great. And like the other teams in the league who are struggling a little bit at the moment and sort of St Johnston. St Johnston seems fairly simple to highlight kind of what this, St Johnston aren't scoring goals. So ultimately, you need to try and tweak it in order to get either there's more balls into the box, you need to figure out a better way for your strikers to play. Right, okay, that's fine. But defensively, they're doing fine. They're not conceding a lot of goals. They don't look in bad shape. Um, Hamilton have, have, uh, have a pro team, but they have David Templeton, who might still be one of the best players in the bottom six. 
Correct. Uh, Motherwell can't keep Wayne's at a close, but at some point or another, when you've got three international standard defenders, whether you argue whether they are or whether they aren't, they've all played international football, so they are international defenders. At some point or another, they will be okay. Motherwell's defensive bodies will come back and it, it, things should improve. And Livy as well. Livy will just return to being, at some point or another, Gary Holt is just going to go, right, okay, we'll just do what we did last year again, like the year before when we tried to change it ever so slightly. It didn't really work and we just went back to being Livy. They'll just go back to being Livy and again, that'll be fine. They've got players that are starting to bed in and guys like Alan Forrest who have played a few games and looked good and looked at this level a few times and at all times haven't. Um, look at, and, and, the various other strikers they've got as well, they'll figure out a way around that and you kind of you have confidence in that as well. St Mirren just kind of feels a little bit like, I, I think I'm maybe guilty of this and I've kind of overrated St Mirren a little bit and that there's, I look, you look at their squad and go, there's a bunch of guys in there who I really like as players. Surely with them and the other bodies around them, they should be improving. Um, it's difficult to tell at the moment where they go from that and what they do. Um, I think you're probably right and even just like an, an additional defensive player and they're maybe a, a sort of more flexible defender so if they're looking for a guy that can play centre half and left back I know one <laughs> <laughs> this, this would be I'd be Ricky Lamy just want to make you clarify that for anybody who missed the joke <laughs> I don't know if some other than that dire straits just yet <laughs> <laughs> right Graham thank you very much for joining me Thanks very much, Craig. Cheers. Cheers. And now welcome on to the show, Gary Cocker. Gary, you're here to talk about Dundee United dropping points, your favourite thing. It's almost as if I just choose the games that I can pick, such as <laughs> Dundee United dropping points, but that's only one game I'm covering. There's another as well. Yeah, so let's start with that game. That game was Livingston 2, St. Johnson 0. St. Johnson's kind of worrying start to the season continues for Livingston. It's a kind of much needed result after they were left uh, bottom of the table last weekend. But yeah, I think the, the big story from this, uh, with all due respect to Livingston, is, is St. Johnson, a team last year who finished in the top six. Looked quite an impressive from kind of the halfway point of the campaign. And you kind of thought, even with the change of manager with Tommy Wright leaving, Callum Davidson coming in, we all assumed that they were going to kind of keep the momentum going that they had last campaign. And that's certainly not been the case so far. I think they've got so one or two victories so far. I need to double check, but they're they're sitting, I think, in the ninth or tenth position, and they've it's just another disappointing result for them. Gary, what did you make of St. Johnson? They're to, to stick on Callum Davidson for a second. Um, I've seen some of my fellow Dundee Sorry, fans. Just, just to, just to um, correct myself, they've won twice and they're, they're 11th in the table. So they're second bottom. Uh, but to be fair, just behind Hamilton on uh, alphabetical order. The, uh, the two Saints are holding up the rest of the table. The strongest teams in the league, as they say. Boom, boom. But anyway, back on St. Johnson. Um, I saw some of my fellow Dundee fans trying um, and probably failing to wind up St. Johnson fans by saying that Callum Davidson's St. Johnson's side reminds him a little bit of Neil McCann's Dundee side in that they can play a wee bit of nice football but they have zero cutting edge and they're just not able to put away their dinner uh, when it really comes to it. I think uh, Chris Iwaluno came out with a stat on sports scene that St. Johnson have only scored four goals from 108 attempts this season 
Um, and that's across nine games. They've only scored one goal in their last five games. If you take Stevie May, Callum Hendry, um, Michael O'Halloran and Craig Conway together, uh, guess how many goals and assists they've pulled together between them all? Right, Conway, Conway O'Halloran, May and Hendry, right? So May scored one. Um, Halloran scored one and I'm going to go with two assists I'm going to go with four well uh, the, the stat I had was one goal and two assists so it must be, instead be two goals <laughs> and two assists so, so some, someone somewhere probably me has got that wrong but oh, yeah, Stevie May scored against he scored the only goal against Sibirne didn't he and Hall- Halloran yes. scored the winner against Kamarnock so definitely scored twice Yep, maybe it's two goals and one assist, and I've got I've just taken that down wrong. But so in, in, in a roundabout way, I was right, despite being wrong. <laughs> yeah, but, but the point remains that St Johnson just don't look great, and I think um, part of it for me as well is it's. I appreciate that sometimes managers want to respond to what's in front of them. So in this case, um, I think that Davidson looked at it and thought, well, if Livia are just going to be playing one up top, then you know what's the point of me playing a back three? But the problem is if he keeps switching between different systems, he's not I really going to find something that works for him. And I think playing Matt Namara just as a as a right back rather than as a right wing back maybe doesn't get as much out of him. No, as he it, it, certainly, could. it certainly didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't do much in this game, and I think he was a bit more tempered by the fact that he was further back on, on the field, and there was somebody ahead of him whose responsibility was to carry out attacking duties that normally belonged to him. And yeah, he was just a bit curtailed. And I think this, in fairness to chopping systems, I don't, uh, they, they have, he has moved between the 3-4-3 and the 3-5-2. I mean, I've, I've heard some people say it's a 3-4-3 as well, but I don't think I'd ever call playing with like a number 10 behind two strikers a, 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 like a three-man attack. I think that's, you know, that, that number 10, and it was Conway in a few games as, as an extra midfielder. So he switched between these two bits. As far as I'm aware, I think that's the first time he's played with a back four. Now, St. Johnson fans were, were questioning the fact of, of why he changed because they've been unsure about the kind of systems that he's been wanting to implement so far this season. But Davidson has expressed confidence that, that things will turn around, that they are getting the performances. They just aren't being converting the goals. And once they start converting, then things will be fine. So with that in mind, it is a bit curious that he decided to to really alter things this past weekend and change the defensive shape. I remember Robin Olsen once said on a podcast when they were asking about like the shape of teams and he basically said, this might have actually been Rob's podcast, I can't really remember, but he was basically, he was asked to do like, like the difference between like 4-2-3-1 and like 4-1-4-1, that kind of thing. And he was like, he said, well, the difference isn't that huge because you're only really talking about five yards here or there. The big fundamental change in, in altering a system is whether you're playing three at the back or four at the back. So they did make a big fundamental ordering, um, altering change this weekend, St. Johnson. And I mean, it, it certainly didn't work because it didn't win. But at the same time, I think they were maybe a little bit unfortunate with before the goals occurred. They were maybe just shading it. It was pretty even, but they'd they'd had kind of more sights at goal. I think May had had a couple of opportunities, and then the opening goal happens, and then from that point for and then the like opening goal was was poor from O'Halloran, and then the the second goal 
was kind of poor for the whole team, really. Just kind of, obviously, a bit kind of shell shocked from the goal, give it up a bit too easy. And I wonder whether it, it, he saw enough in that start to to continue with it next week or whether he's just going to go back to the three at the back, which is what he wanted to play coming into the season because he did switch to it in the second half and it did look better. It's, the other thing is, and this isn't something you can really quantify, but the body language of the St. Johnson team and the the staff in the dugout did not look... Uh, look irate enough for me <laughs> at 2-0 down if I can put it that way it, it, seemed to, it seems to be a very nice team but nice teams don't really tend to get anywhere uh, and I'm, I'm not sure looking through that team I'm not sure where the sort of grit and the sort of you know dickheadedness uh, really, <laughs> really comes to the fore and whereas if you looked at last season certainly you know straight from the dugout you know Tommy Wright was uh all about grinding things out, whereas I remain to be convinced by Callum Davidson. He's not the only manager I'm going to say that about, uh, especially when we get to the the next game. Um, but I think it stands in stark contrast as well to the fact that Livy seemed to have pulled themselves together and realised that, uh, or at least Gary Holtz realised that, you know, maybe just sticking to a, a similar formula uh, will actually work for them. Yeah, it's funny that you kind of mentioned that they're a bit kind of nice and they're not kind of playing with a persona that we've kind of labelled St. Johnson with. And well, I was going to say recent seasons, pretty much the entire Tommy Wright era, even though sometimes I don't think it was necessarily that fair. I think over the last couple of years they've, they've tried to play kind of better football and have not been quite as agricultural as some of his, his kind of prior St. Johnson teams might have been. And I think going back to the opening goal, so it's a mistake for Halloran, and I do feel a little bit sorry for him because I think he was one of St. Johnson's better players on the day. He was really, whenever they seemed to do anything in attack, I thought he was kind of the, the kind of core root of it, getting, you know, attack started by kind of getting the ball and, and driving at Livingston and forcing them back. And either, even if he wasn't necessarily creating from open play, he was winning, you know, corners. Uh, and from there, they, they were sometimes threatening as well. But he gives the ball away. It's then, uh, I think it's then a two and one Livingston. But by the time, so Nicky Devlin plays it wide to Scott Tiffany. He plays it too far wide, and Tiffany has to kind of chase up with. By the time Tiffany gets the ball back, that should normally be enough time for that move to to have been broken down. But you see when he knocks it back to Forrest, and Forrest takes the touch. When Forrest takes that touch, there's four Livingston players in the box and only two St Johnson players, and that's comes from a St Johnson corner. So that's just. Livingston's players showing more determination to get there, other like as opposed to their opposition. And even when you know the ball rattles around the box, by the time that Tiffany takes a shot, there's still like three of his teammates who are like in line with him, and only two St. Johnson defenders. So they're not doing enough. They're not doing the the basics enough. And you can fiddle about with formations. You can you know, try and find the right formula and you may stumble upon that right formula uh, sooner or later. But if your team are, are lacking those kind of things, and also I've already mentioned the fact that mentally they were very weak right after that and conceding the, the second goal so quickly, then it almost doesn't matter if he manages to stumble across, maybe has stumbled across the right formation and the players just, it's just unable to get the, the best out of the players at this present. They're not, they're not as kind of absolutely doggedly determined as, as they were for the majority of rights tenure. Although we also have to give 
Livy credit. First of all, we should give Forrest credit because I love that type of finish. Oh yeah, the one where he, he didn't bleach it. He just, you know, he basically just passed it into the net from sixteen yards out, um, and from a, a fairly difficult angle as well. So uh, full he should have scored the goal before as well. It was a, it's a nice idea from Scott Robinson, but it leaves him far too short with that layoff. Yeah. Um, and I think Tiffany as well. I, I was having a look back, and I see you know Tiffany's really worked his way into that Livy team. Uh, obviously, for the last couple of weeks, um, there's maybe been a little bit of discussion about well, you know, who's actually going to replace Stokes, who didn't actually play a minute for Livy. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, who who is yeah. it that's going to be able to lead the line? And I really liked the the setup they've got with you know the sort of Pittman, Robinson, Forrest, Tiffany, and. I think that the thing that Livy fans seem to be saying is that Tiffany's put on, not really put on a bit of beef, but he's he's certainly bulked out, and you can see that he, you know, he wasn't being bundled off the ball uh, as I think he might have been in the past. So uh, it's he seems to have nailed down, uh, or at least on the basis of this week, he should have nailed down that starting spot, and it's up to him to really keep that place. Yeah, goal and assist from this one, and you, you think he's going to be given a little bit of a run on the team now. It was almost surprising when he was. Preferred to Lars Lokatish, I think it was for the, the Celtic game. The start we, I can't, I can't remember which game it was, but basically they both, I think it was both played against Hamilton. But Lokatish yeah. has actually played okay in the first half and even had an assist. Well, I don't know if you can call it an assist. Is it an assist when it's an own goal? Well, I think it is. Should be anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he played, he played reasonably well, but Tiffany came off the bench and impressed as well. And and from then, Gary Holt's kind of gone with him. I, I too, I, he was kind of the one of our couple of players that stood out for me for Livy. He, for despite the fact that he doesn't really have much stature, as you say, he's, he's a wee bit more muscular now than he was. But he does very well for somebody who's not the tallest to, to fight and to battle and to make the ball stick up the opposing end. Whether he's holding it off, linking with teammates, or just putting St. Johnson defenders under, under enough pressure that they can't clear it properly. And I thought that Marvin Bartley, I thought, looked at maybe his best this season. Uh, we're obviously big fans of Marv on the show. He's been on the View for the Terrace. He's been on the show uh, a couple of times. Done an interview with Joel. He was very good enough to do the, the podcast with me on, on racism and football, and you know, tell some really kind of harsh experiences. So I've been tentative to, to slag him off in the same way that I probably would a lot of other players. So I'm just going to freely admit that I, I like I like Marv, so I'm not going to I'm not going to stick the boot in. But I think he would maybe even admit that he's not been at his best this season compared to what he was last year. I think the way he's played so far this campaign is maybe what we expected when he when he first left Hibs. But I thought he was he was looking a lot better uh, in the game against Johnson. He looked a bit he looked a bit sharper. He looked like he was he was more prepared to carry the ball as well, which is something that Livy fans were pleasantly surprised by last year. They thought they were just getting, you know, an enforcer in front of the back four. Obviously he is that, but they were really impressed with his ability to his quickness and that he can kind of drive the ball forward as well. Done that in the build-up to the goal. He done that a couple of other times, and him playing well is going to be key for Livingston because they don't really have anybody else. They've got a number of really nice kind of midfielders. They've got Pittman, they've got Forrest, they've got Sybil, they've got Holt, guys who can pass the ball. Um, but with the exception of maybe Scott Robinson and their forwards and obviously the defenders, they don't really have anybody else who's quite as physical. So Bartley kind of has to be on it for Livy's kind of personality to shine through and for them for it to really be an asset in games. Yeah. I really enjoyed watching his run into the middle of nowhere that ended up in the goal as well. <laughs> but sometimes you need that, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's going down like what looks like a blind alley down the left yeah. wing, but he's taking the play forward like 30 yards. And that's I, I, and it worked out. So yeah, you, who, even, if who you're going, even if you're going nowhere, well, you don't, 
just the fact that you're going into the opposition half yeah. brings your team forward, puts them on the back foot. Uh, as long as you can turn around and pass it to somebody in your own team, which you did, then it's, uh, it's perfectly fine to go down a blind alley. Tell you're a Hearts fan, you're talking about playing for territory like a good rugby man. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's get to the second game. That is Hamlin against Dundee United. A, a one-all draw. Dundee United scored very early on through Lauren Shankland. Uh, Hamilton equalised him about 15 to go through Hakeem Madoffin's third goal of the season. And remember, he's also had a header off the bar that led immediately to a goal as well. So he's come very close to scoring four goals already this campaign, which is insane for a defender. All from set pieces, he just attacks the ball ridiculously well and this game I thought was generally quite a decent match overall it was kind of back and forth it was there was some prolonged spells of, of very little happening I think between like the, the 20th minute and like the 40th there wasn't a lot of goldmouth action there was another kind of barren period in the second but overall it was played at a decent tempo both sides were going for it both had chances other than the goals but I will say that I am livid absolutely livid with Mickey Clark. Because I had two bets on this weekend. Uh, one of them was a fiver, would have won me £70. That one was £3, it would have won me £90. And both of them involved Dundee United winning. The one that was £3 involved Dundee United winning, both teams scoring, and Lauren Shanklin scoring. And I had that in Aberdeen winning and Marley Watkins scoring. So the only thing that didn't happen, if Nicky Clark tucks away that chance, one of the three chances he had on the day at the end, the easiest one obviously was the one at the end, where all he has to do is hit the target and that's a goal. And he somehow balloons it over the bar. I mean, on the one hand, you're like, right, the the top flight might be a bit of a stretch too far for Nicky Clark. But from what I've seen of him this season in terms of his overall play, he's actually done a bit better than I thought he was. And his goal-scoring record in the Championship is good. And he's missing chances that... It's not like he's missing chances because the defenders are are, are quicker or the goalkeeper is better. He's missing chances because his finishing is shit. Yeah, (laughs) he was incredibly wasteful. I mean, the, the... the thing that strikes me is that although United, um, you know, there was a lot of talk uh, again on sports scene uh, saying, "Oh, how efficient is Lawrence Shankland?" It's for me, it's more about the lack of supply. Um, obviously, the uh, United did seem to dominate, uh, you know, big swathes of the game against Hackett's. But the fact that Shankland only touched the ball three times in the box is not, and you know, all three times there was the goal. There was setting up. Clark for one of his chances and set up Clark for his other chance and set up Clark for his other <laughs> chance um, so there's no doubt you know it, it's true to say yes he is efficient but also he must be so frustrated because Clark uh, as well as being wasteful I don't feel like he's the best type of player that Shanklin could feed off I feel like Shanklin would feed well off uh, I was going to say Morelos but yeah, maybe links <laughs> maybe links into some uh, transfer Scott speculation um, yeah Scott Tiffany um, just because I've just talked about him but no um, I think that what was benefiting United was obviously Chalmers is so pacey I could not believe it uh, watching that he's got a lot of pace well, to be fair talk about terrible finishes that, that chance he had not long oh. after United opened the score and Jesus talk about oh. lack of composure to not even would... hit the target for there was really yeah. bad but the so I think United need to and you know United fans have been talking about this not least because of you know Shanklin's injury record but also uh, him continuing to be linked in in the last stage of the window. If they lose Shanklin, I think that would have to be a big concern. Now his goal for me, um, you know, you know people talk about a poacher's instinct, a, a striker's instinct, but for me it's a lot about Sean Want just you know 
marking Lord Shankland and then deciding to stop marking him in the <laughs> six-yard box, which was a unique approach, um, an Ake's approach to defending, perhaps. Um, but no, I think United... It kind of came for the, the weak link in Ake's defence as well, which was their left-hand side. Kyle Munro, uh, they changed up for this game. They went with three at the back system yeah. and... Kyle Monroe at left wing back was caught sleeping quite a few times. The Chalmers had a chance as well because Chalmers kind of created the goal. Uh, well, he, Chalmers kind of, you know, he was the one that brought the ball out of the park. He attacked the space in behind Monroe. Then he kind of knocks out Sporla and makes a really good run and uh, from the opposite wing. And then a good pass for Shanklin. But it was a few times where that was kind of the, the, the chink in, in Aki's armour was that left side. And United only really created stuff other than that when it was kind of an Aki's mistake, like the time that Scott Martin decided to head the ball through for Lauren Shanklin for some fucking reason. The, I think the thing that actually finished off United, to be honest, other than the fact, I mean, Aki's have got a sensational record. All of their points have come in the last 10 minutes of games this season. Okay, they were drawn with Killy um, before scoring the winner, but still... Uh, all of their points have come in the last 10 minutes of the game, so you know that you need to finish off Ake's. Brian Rice was talking about the Ake's spirit, um, which is probably a politer way of describing them than the other things that people use to describe Hamilton Academical. <laughs> but a big part of it is undoubtedly the fact that 1-0 up, looking fairly comfortable, Mickey Mellon decides to move to a back three. Um, which I, missed, I don't, I, I don't I, have I, a big deal with it, because I, I still think that other than the goal... Aki's didn't do much after that. I think, I think what the point in that was was that Aki's were getting a lot of they were getting a lot of free kicks and they were getting a lot of kind of crosses into the box anyway. So I wonder whether I thought that was just either that to stick on an arse and half so they'd be better to deal with balls in the area. Now ultimately they were undone by a ball in the area, but that was that was that was a set piece, yeah. so it doesn't really matter how many. Well, I suppose it does. You kind of want your extra set and half on there, and I think it was Reynolds that was actually beaten for the goal. So I think he maybe. He maybe had a point, and they still should have. They still created the chances to win the game. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a big problem with that. I thought that overall in the match, Aki's were maybe a bit more of a threat, even though they scored when United were at three men. I thought. They, I thought. They, I thought they made. They asked more questions when United had a, a four, a back four. But then at the same time, taking off Sporrell and Charnos. Yeah. That's terrible. That was not his name at all. Logan Chalmers. There we go. Uh, taking <laughs> off <laughs> Sporrell and. Chalmers for okay. Go to yes, Chalmers. Chalmers. Yeah, I would say Chalmers. It's not. Ch- ch- I, I, love, Chalmers. I love the. I love the. I love the fact that we've got Sporla and the one that you're picking me up on is uh, Logan. I'm going to call him Logan from now on. We're close mates. <laughs> Save myself this. Um, but no, taking those two off when you know they were having you know, his Logan's uh, mad uh, ski with punt aside, and um, they were having pretty decent games, and it just seemed like the wrong decisions to take. I think the other thing that surprises me is that Louis Appery and Paul McMullen have fallen completely out of favour. Now, people might argue, well, is Paul McMullen, you know, Paul McMullen is small, fairly tricky, but I'm not sure he's up to Premiership standards. And I would accept that argument if it wasn't for the fact that Peter Pollitt is still getting a game, albeit off the subs bench. Um, and it strikes me as slightly strange things. The last couple of games that you've not seen McMullen and, or Apparate even making an appearance off the bench. Um, I think some United fans have been saying that uh, Mickey Mellon's already sort of got his favourites, is the way they put it. But I think there's there's some consternation over the uh, over his decision making in game. 
What did you think of Tunde Obalabi? He's a big guy. I didn't realise he was that big. There's always a player that Aki somehow managed to pull out of absolutely nowhere who who is a key contributor in them finishing 10th every season. And I think this season most of us probably thought was going to be David Templeton, although he's more of a known quantity. But the true essence of Hamilton Academical is Tunde Obalabi coming in uh, and providing them with something different up top. I, I didn't really... I didn't really think Andy Winter had the best game. Um, no, I didn't. He was taken off at halftime. Yeah, um, well, that's why. Um, but I think that you know between Odolphin and Olabi, I think Brian Rice has made some astute, uh, astute additions to the team, was, and you can you yeah, can see that spirit coming through. There is, he was they, about. There's something there's, there is something about him. He, he was an awkward customer for United to deal with. He also had a couple of headed opportunities in the first half that he maybe could have done better with, and. I think the three-five-two for Amon, I actually quite like that for them. And I think Rice should maybe look into sticking with it. The, the problem is that he doesn't really have a lot at wing-back because, as I said, Monroe, well, was, he, Monroe, he, Monroe was a bit of an issue. And in the second period, Lee Hodgson was that poor at wing-back. Well, he was that poor at wing-back in the entire game. But in the second half, he brought in Jamie Hamilton and moved Adolphin out to, to right wing-back. And Adolphin's played so good at centre half the season that I don't know if you want to do that, and especially if you're then kind of leaving, you know, a back three of going forward of Hamilton want and McMahon doesn't, you know, scream competency. <laughs> but elsewhere, like they've got Olabi, they've got Okunpo, they've got Moyo as well. So they're basically putting a stamper down. We've got these big forwards, two big forwards, put two of them up there, and chances are we're going to make the ball stick because they're going to be just just with their strength and their determination. Um, speaking of Okinpo determination, he done very well. One chance Nicky Clark was unlucky with was the one where Okinpo appeared from nowhere to, to block his shot inside the penalty box. He might have done better with that one than, than he did the ones later on, but that, that was impressive. But if they have those two guys, make the ball stick, then you've got David Templeton in the number 10, and then you've got two like number eight guys who are maybe limited in terms of ability, but do an awful lot of work. You're, you're Ross Callahan's and you're Scott Martins. And I think that's a basis of quite a decent game plan. They just need some better additions at the back. Uh, they need to get better centre-half and they need to get better wing-back for that to, to really work. But if they can do that, there's uh, still a week to go, I think, before the end of the window. They, if they can bring in a, a defender and certainly a, a right-sided wing-back, then they might actually put out an 11 that I don't hate staying up in this top flight. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it stands in stark contrast to the start of the season uh, Looking at St Mirren certainly after the first couple of games and saying, "Oh, that's you know that's a that's a decent looking squad. Oh, that this could be a good season for them," and doing the usual sort of pointing at Hackies and saying, "This is surely the time for them to go down." But uh, this is the way it goes every season. But only one more week until the international break. Um, at which point you would expect um, St Johnson, who we've already talked about, to kick on because that seems to be their thing. Uh, after an international break, actually realise here we really don't want to get relegated and pull their fingers out um, and. We'll just have to wait and see how everyone else does. Right, Gary, thank you very much for joining me. Anytime. I'm, I'm always delighted to talk about Dundee United dropping points, so feel free to have <laughs> me back. And thank you to everybody for listening at home. If you'd like to get in touch with us, the easiest way is our Twitter account, at Terrace Podcast. And if you'd also like to listen to hours and hours of extra exclusive content, head over to patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. You can pay $2 a month for a couple of weeks a, sh- uh, couple of, weeks a show. 
Mm. A couple of shows a week, or you can pay $5 a month for at least five shows a week, but probably the average is more than that. And uh, the will... That average will shoot up again, I think, soon, because we're coming up to the first quarter of the season. And uh, I think I'll get back in touch with numerous fans and, and journalists to, to get their opinion on each side in the, in the top flight. So that'll be coming up soon. But uh, make sure to definitely listen to the second part of Sean and Telfer's top 10 most embarrassing lower league moments of the, of the last uh, 20 years. Cause, oh, sorry, the last 10 years, because that was uh, outstanding. So far, I'm 50 minutes into part one and it's been all Stenhouse Mirror, but um, I'm reliably informed that that will change. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the man who never talks about Dundee, but yes. It's uh, it's fantastic, though. It's, it's always good to, to hear the two elder statesmen of the Terry Scotch Football Podcast talk all things lower league. <laughs> I don't think Duffer's going to like you for that one. <laughs> right, cheerio. Cheerio. Podcast Network.